0: Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. The University at Buffalo School of Social Work is making a difference every day. Through the generation and transmission of knowledge, promotion of social justice, and service to humanity. We offer MSW and PhD programs, continuing education programs and credits, online courses, licensure exam preparation, professional seminars and certificates, and much, much more. To learn more about the UB School of Social Work, please visit www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. Spiritus Contra Spiritum. These are the words of Carl Gustav Jung to Bill W., founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcohol in Latin is spiritus, and Jung reasoned that because we use the same word for the highest religious experience, as well as for the most depraving poison, the thirst for alcohol should be battled with a thirst for God. Is recovery from alcoholism related to spirituality? Today's guest is Finding Out. Dr. Elizabeth Robinson is a research assistant professor at the University of Michigan Addiction Research Center, where she carries out research on spiritual and religious change associated with recovery from alcohol problems. She has more than 20 years of social science research experience on such topics as substance abuse treatment seekers, family stress and coping with mental illness, gender and schizophrenia, and supportive health education. Her current work includes a study of long-term changes in spirituality after individuals enter treatment for alcohol dependence, as well as a study of experiences of spiritual transformation in early recovery. Dr. Robinson also works with treatment centers on ways to incorporate meditation into depression and substance abuse treatment and the role of spirituality in recovery from substance abuse and dependence. Peter Sabota, clinical assistant professor at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work, spoke with Dr. Robinson by telephone.
1: Hi Libby, thank you for agreeing to do one of our podcasts and I'm going to start with kind of a an odd question if I may. This is the honest truth, last night I had dinner with a physician from the West Coast who works in an addiction center, and he's an addiction specialist. So I, I actually told him that I was going to be interviewing another professional for, you know, research and treatment in alcoholism. And he responded very quickly by telling me that alcoholism is a, a brain disease, and that it has biological and psychological and social consequences. So given that, And our listeners can't see my face as I smile when I say this. Given that, why do people need to find God to recover from alcoholism?
2: Well, that's a really good question. (laughs) I I don't know that everybody does, everybody Mm -hmm. who is in recovery, and that's one of the questions that I would like to, one of the things I would like to document. is the extent to which there are some people who recover without a spiritual, religious change. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that AA is effective in helping people, and it's de- very definitely a spiritual program. And we know that most that most treatment professionals also think it's important. Mm-hmm. And Carl Jung thought it was important, and you know, so there are a lot of people who think it's important that because they see it as a as a spiritual crisis, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it more that spirituality and religiousness can provide people in recovery with uh, support for what they're trying to do they're trying to turn their lives around and really recover literally from uh, sometimes a a rather deep hole that they've gotten themselves into and it requires a lot of strength and persistence and i think uh, a spiritual or religious life can
1: provide I noticed that you used spiritual and religious, assuming they're not the same thing, and I'm going to ask you to talk about that in a little bit. But before I ask you to do that, how did you get interested in this topic or at least aspect of chemical dependency?
2: Well, I've always been interested in issues of spirituality and religiousness. My dad was a minister. Developing a meditation practice has been a very important part of my, my life. And I've always been intrigued by this, but I've also been very, very aware that, you know, one man's spirituality is another man's atheism, kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of disagreement about just exactly what is spirituality and religiousness, and so... When I found out that NIAAA, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, was sponsoring a conference in 1999 on studying spirituality and alcohol, that was the title of the conference, I talked my way into the conference and learned a lot about what was going on and got the sense that they were going to try to fund some studies around this Mm -hmm. and was uh, very intrigued by that. And at that point, I was a a postdoc a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Michigan Addiction Research Center. And so had access to clients, to people with addictions who were, in tr- who were in treatment. I had access to staff and so was in a good position to to study this phenomena.
1: Actually, before we go any further, it sounds like we probably should not make any assumptions and probably make sure that we're on the same page. So would, would you give us your take on for example, maybe the, even the difference between spirituality and religion?
2: Well, I think that anybody who ventures into research uh, in any area needs to be prepared to define their terms. And how, how do you, what do you mean by X? You know? mm-hmm. And that was one of the first things that we did when we started this, this work. Um, and I see spirituality as a person's feelings, thoughts, experiences, behaviors, that arise from their desire to find the sacredness in life that is ultimate reality, a divine being, transcendent truth, whereas I think of religion more as the social context of that search and connection to those kinds of sacred issues. And so it's much more institutions, much more rituals and prescribed behaviors, sometimes tied to a particular cultural context. One of the reasons that it's important to distinguish this is because it turns out to be important when you're studying people with alcohol problems, because for them, there's a big difference. You need to have measures and as well as just sort of a mindset that people may be down on religion, but they may still want to nurture their spirituality.
1: Yeah, I think That's very much my limited experience um, in the practice world, but also even in academia. The other thing that came to my mind when you were talking about the difference or the impact really of spirituality versus as opposed to religion, I was thinking about some of this um, research that I've read in terms of that if clients have faith, when they come to the change process, their outcomes are significantly better than people, for example, who don't. And then it's a kind of the flip side of that is clinicians who have faith in their client's ability to change. They also do better as well in terms of prognosis. So I was wondering if you thought that even fit in with the concept, especially of spirituality and faith being, I guess, in my mind that the belief in things unseen.
2: It's a hard thing to measure. And so we, we really didn't, look at that specifically but I think that that is one of the things that some kind of a spiritual life gives the people a -hmm. sense of hope, a sense of connection, a sense of support you know that I'm not alone which is of course also one of the things that AA gives to people because it's it's a social process to be involved in AA is not just me with God or me by the side of the river you know communing with nature but it's me and a bunch of other people AA is very definitely a social a- aspect to it. We get hints that there are people who struggle a great deal around being sober are very often people who have had a loss of faith or people who feel that, who don't have hope, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. Um, and who, who don't believe that there's, that there's a way out of the morass in which they're stuck. And so that, that is really important. And, and one of the most important things that, Messages, I think, that we need to convey to people early in in treatment for addictions is, you know, you can get better. You can mm-hmm. get on top of this because people are are very often extremely discouraged and mm-hmm. they've tried before and now they've failed again or whatever. You know, I mean, just, it's a relapsing disorder mm-hmm. and it's very easy for people to get to be very judgmental with themselves about that. And then they lose faith with God or with you know, the the possibility of change. So yes, you know, mm-hmm. I definitely think hope is an issue.
1: Is there um, a body of empirical evidence that supports including spirituality in our, our thinking about treating alcoholism?
2: There's a bunch of interesting stuff that's been known for a while. One is that there are lower levels of alcohol and drug use amongst people with religious and spiritual involvement mm-hmm. participation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been known for quite a while. Mm-hmm. There's some evidence that alcoholics and, and drug addicts are religiously and spiritually alienated. Mm-hmm. The evidence for that is has been a little sketchy and a more subtle question, really. It's they're religiously alienated, I think, but not spiritually, not not necessarily spiritually alienated. And there's, there's of course significant effort evidence that AA works. Mm-hmm. And then of course you know you only have to go to a couple of AA meetings and hear people talk to see that, you know, it is, has been very important. And other people, um, Zimor and Cascudas out in California, found that people who reported having had spiritual awakenings mm. did better than people who didn't. So even before our work, um, there's some of this kind of thing. And there's there's also a fairly persistent finding that as people get sober, their sense of meaning and purpose in life increases from the beginning of treatment to after treatment.
1: Yeah, this is tricky in terms of empiricism because, you know, how do you quantify, you know, existential understanding? Many
2: of us lean on a measure which has been criticized, but um, I think does get at some of these kinds of ideas, you know, the sense that that my life does matter. But it is like measuring any difficult construct, whether it's spirituality measuring sense of meaning and purpose in life is also subject to, it's hard to do. You know, we're mm-hmm. we we we're taking a stab at it. This is how we're, we've measured it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the most perfect measure around, but we think it's good enough to give us a sense that this is important.
1: You've mentioned a, a couple times already that you've mentioned AA, and it, it's clear that you believe that AA fits into this kind of conversation. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
2: Well, it rests a lot of, you know. You just look at the twelve steps, mm-hmm. and I forget if it's. I think it's step two, is about God as I un- as I understand Him slash Her, and and the whole program revolves around helping people to develop a relationship with something larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's three outside your window or. Someone else in the AA meeting, um, or 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 God as you understand him, and so AA very much fosters spiritual religious change, and it it is the most common route to recovery for many people, more common than formal treatment programs, and the evidence that it works is 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 pretty strong at this point. So we need to, well, let's look at this then. Let's find out what's going on here and. And why, what is it that, that's, that AA furthers that's important to spiritual religious change and to mm-hmm. drinking outcomes?
1: Yeah, and I guess I'm going to be, I'm not going to be honoring the social work tradition here of, of strength-based, but I'm, I'm sure you've had the experience of talking to folks who, who go to AA and who walk out of there thinking, oh my goodness, this is some kind of religious club. What do you think kind of, this is going to be an odd question, goes wrong there?
2: Well, sometimes I think it's I mean there, there are some people who who are so alienated from religion and spirituality that they they find it uncomfortably cult-like. And I think there are, you know, there is some evidence that there may be some AA groups that are a little rigid out there and and that get into kind of a cult-like mentality where this is this is the only way to go and if you drop out of AA you're going to you're going to fail in your recovery and that kind of stuff, and I—that's not helpful. A very unhelpful strategy for AA groups to espouse, but it's fairly common, and that—but that kind of thinking and it is very cult-like, and I think leads to that perception that AA is is very much like a religious cult. I don't think it is, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of, for one thing. Uh, Different AA groups are so different. You go around to a lot of AA groups, and you'll find, you know, here's an AA group that always closes with the Lord's Prayer, and here's another one that barely mentions God at all. You know, you can sniff around, and you can find an AA group that you're more comfortable with.
1: I think that's really important, because I know people make their judgments based on attendance at one meeting without any awareness that they're so variable, just like you spoke to. Well, I did have a chance to look at some of the scholarly work that you've done. In terms of the work that you've done, what were you trying to learn? What did you do, and, and what were you hoping to discover by doing it?
2: The questions that, that I aimed, that I had when I wrote these proposals and got funding for them from our National Institute of Health was, first, does spirituality and religiousness change over time amongst alcoholics? Are those changes associated with people drinking less, and you know, and how does AA contribute to that change? Part of it was I was working in a treatment setting where spiritual religious change was perceived as really critical mm. to recovery, and I wanted to find out if that was indeed true. How critical is it to recovery? Mm-hmm. And we are we are finding that it's very common, even amongst even if you factor out. The extent to which people are involved in AA, it it changes, and it seems to be important in people drinking less. Mm-hmm. And there, so there, so there's more ways to nurture your spirituality and recovery, to support your recovery than going to AA. And that's kind of an interesting finding. But that's basically what we wanted to look at. We wanted to document whether or not spirituality and religiousness changed and whether or not those changes had any relationship to AA involvement and to drinking.
1: I guess just to bring it around one more time, and you discovered?
2: Um, Well, well, we've discovered that spirituality and religiousness does change over time, even amongst those who aren't totally sober. And Mm -hmm. we find that one of the things that changes quite Mm -hmm. a bit is people's sense of forgiveness, we talk a lot about this in aA, but forgiving oneself seems in particular seems to be really critical forgiving other people as well. Day-to-day private religious practices, I like prayer and meditation, reading sacred texts, that kind of thing, that seems to be important and it seems to change. These are just I'm just giving you what changes. And day-to-day spiritual experiences, like the extent to which people feel, Comfort or strengthened by their spiritual religious life, the extent to which they feel connected to God or some higher power, sense of purpose in life goes up, and and the use of negative religious coping strategies goes down. And negative religious coping strategies are things like uh, God has abandoned me, or you know I'm uh, because I'm such a terrible person. God is punishing me. Uh, all the things that have happened in my life are because God is angry with me, those the, if those kind of ideas seem to decrease uh, over time uh, over the course of six months and twelve months. Mm-hmm. So all those things seem to change. What doesn't seem to change is people's perceptions of God and people's beliefs, which makes sense. I mean those are those are more stable kind of things anyway. People, you would expect that those would be. The you know possibly the last thing to
1: change. Yeah, people aren't going to just totally discard a fundamental framework, whatever that is. It sounds like what you're learning is that 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 is quite likely to change, and and morph along the way. You know, earlier on you mentioned I think the term that you you used was a uh, spiritual awakenings. People report having these, and when when you said that, what that brought to mind is. Uh, the the book by William James, the variety of religious experience, and I, I remember this kind of I, I'm not sure I'm going to get the quote right, but um, there was this kind of comment about self surrender, and that at least in James' work, that he was finding that this concept of self surrender is kind of is a vital turning point in not only, for example, people's addictive lives, but people's lives in general. Does that fit with some of the things that you've studied?
2: Yeah, you know, I I didn't look at it in quite that kind of way. We asked the question in a in a very basic, straight up way. Have you ever had a life changing spiritual religious experience? Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had a gain in faith? Have you ever had a loss in faith? So we we asked people these kinds of questions every time we saw them. Um, well, after the first time we asked them, have you had one since we saw you last? But um, the interesting thing is that more alcoholics reported having had a life-changing spiritual religious experience than did a national sample when they were asked exactly mm -hmm. the same question, Mm -hmm. which is intriguing. I mean, it's a big enough difference. It's like 47% of the people in our sample uh, have had uh, such an experience.
1: Wow.
2: In a national sample, it's more like 39%, 8% difference. When we asked people, well, so what kind of experience was that? You know, um, a few people, only a few people mentioned experiences that were around drinking or drug use. For most people, it was, they were other kinds of situations, um, some of them which might have been related to drinking or drug use. They were mm-hmm. a clump around what i call should have could have died you know with Mm -hmm. where there was extreme danger some of the people in our study are veterans and and for them there was an issue there but there's also a big clump around deliberate efforts to connect with god and then other people you mentioned things like well you know i was talking with someone and Mm -hmm. something about that conversation became was life-changing or for other people it was being in nature Some people, almost all these experiences were positive, but there were a few that people reported that were negative, where it was scary or where the person Mm -hmm. felt judged or alienated. Mm -hmm. So you you do need to look at, well, what kind of life-changing experiences are people
0: talking
1: about? Yeah, and, and just kind of building on that, it sounds like these awakenings or experiences of spirituality are ways, the varied ways that people make meaning of their lives.
2: I've had a number of people tell me about, you know, well, you know, I perceived my my grandmother who had had died and she's gone on to the other side, as it were, and there's my dead grandmother coming back to tell me I need to straighten out my life, and that was a life changing experience for them. So it's kind of interesting. If you get into some interesting mystical things, and of course the question always is, well, that's nice. Did the person really change? Because it's not enough to have a conversion experience if it doesn't change how the person operates in the the world. So that's always interesting to look at that. But we found that the people who did report having these kinds of experiences did tend to drink less over time.
1: I know from our previous conversations, our brief ones, actually, you are familiar with some of Jung's work. And I think it was Jung who who kind of spoke about people's pursuit of addictive experiences as almost like a quest or a search or a longing for meaning and and greater experience. That's exactly what you're talking about.
2: Jung's quote was, something like Spiritus Contra Spiritum, literally spirits against spirit, you know, that he saw the whole issue of alcoholism as a spiritual crisis. And that, in effect, alcoholics have a greater thirst for spirit, but it's misdirected, their search for the spirit is misdirected. Mm-hmm. And instead of finding spirit through God, they, they're finding it in the bottle.
1: Exactly fascinating. I'm sure you get some challenges around the, these kind of spiritual approaches and, and is that really necessary? Is it really meaningful? I think it depends on people's orientation. But if social workers are going to incorporate this into our you know our practice behavior, our pursuit of policy, maybe even social work education, and even research, what do you think are the practical implications? of your work for, say, for, let's start with practice behavior of social workers. How can social workers use what you're learning?
2: Well, I think one of the things that's really clear is that people are, they're not interested in religion. So if one comes at this from a particular religious standpoint, you're going to run into a lot of resistance. It's not going to work. You need to take a much broader kind of perspective and and see it as a spiritual quest and supporting people's spiritual quests and not trying to push them toward a specific religious tradition, Mm -hmm. not even toward AA specifically, you know, but, you know, whatever nurtures that person's spirituality. And, but part of, one of the things that we don't do very often in social work, I know that there are some who do, which is great, but, you know, we very rarely even bring up the issue of spirituality and religiousness Mm -hmm. with our clients. Um, even though we know that something like, you know, 93% of the population believe in God, Mm -hmm. and almost 90% actually believe in a personal God, that God watches over them. Mm -hmm. About 85% have a a religious preference of some sort. This is of the general population. Mm -hmm. And over 50% pray at least once a day. But we kind of ignore this so often, I think, when we're working with a client, no matter what the presenting problem is and, and I think we we need to figure out how to be open to the topic without dictating in any way what particular perspective a person should have. you know because there aren't any shoulds and nots
1: here. Well, it makes no sense that this kind of meaning making should be a taboo subject.
2: It's true, it's true. <laughs> you know it's too important to people, and yet we've we've created a psychotherapies that have no relationship to. To people's fundamental meaning,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: issues of meaning mm-hmm. in their lives.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think the implications of of your work are, for example, for social work research and kind of what what does social work uniquely have to offer? Do you think in terms in this area?
2: Well, I think social workers we're game to go with the client is, and even if we're kind of going, oh, I don't know what to do about this,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, we're we're a little bit more willing to follow people and to you know, see where, where they need to go and what is important to them. So I think there is that tradition and, and we can often, I think we, we, you know, speaking of the strengths perspective, Uh social work, you know, looking, looking at people's spirituality as a potential strength, only rarely is, spirituality or religiousness a, a negative and it's usually when you run into these kind of situations where there's a perception of God as a punishing uh-huh. judgmental God that's that's definitely associated with poor mental health outcomes mm-hmm. however you you measure mental health and and so you know maybe that's what we should be keeping our eyes and ears open for
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm, I don't think we we can advocate A particular religious perspective we can give people tools we can teach people to you know different types of meditation we can assuming we can find a form that is compatible with the person with the person and their perspectives but you know we're not gonna it's counterproductive to push a, a particular religious perspective i can't say that strongly enough
1: yeah, I, it, it's it's interesting to hear you say all this because I'm thinking back to the years that I spent as a practitioner before I got involved in academics, and it's it's it was always fascinating to me that if if I brought it up, people would just go on and on and on. They would say things like, "Nobody ever asked me about that before." If they had contact with other clinicians, yeah. So it sounds like what we need to do is ask, the, as just talk about it, and. As in terms of just beginning this conversation?
2: You know, I think the, the most important thing that we can do is to help people interpret and understand and support them in their spiritual pursuits, in interpreting their spiritual experiences.
1: Is there more to come for you? Are you going to develop this work even more? Are you working on something currently that's related?
2: We're continuing to analyze the data from this two-and-a-half to three-year longitudinal survey of alcoholics but we're we're also we've just gotten another federal grant to look at recovery more broadly defined and how the how these different characteristics are. But that's not specific to spirituality religiousness. I think somebody not me, but somebody needs to do a similar uh, a study of alcoholics and other areas of the country. There's some interesting differences across the country in spirituality and religiousness of so the general population. And and also we need to look at at these issues with regard to African American populations, mm-hmm. to Hispanic groups, because their spirituality and religiousness is, is different, you know, and it, it has a different role in their lives mm-hmm. and than than most Caucasians. And so I think That would be a really useful um, study for somebody to carry out.
1: Absolutely. Um, Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for talking with us today. I think it was really helpful.
0: Good. Thank you for calling me. You've been listening to Dr. Elizabeth Robinson discuss spiritual change in recovery from alcoholism. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for more lectures and conversations on social work practice and research.
2: Nancy Smith, professor and dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.